Good morning. So we are uh, come to Romans chapter 8, and we are going to do one verse today. But I would like to point out, last week we did 12 verses. So really, it's an average of six and a half verses in two weeks. Today, uh, as we come to Romans chapter 8, what many have called the greatest chapter in the Bible. Of course, all of God's Word is great because it's God's Word. It's the inspired revelation of of who God is, uh, of what God does. But within the, the greatness of God's Word, the book of Romans stands out for its clear, its comprehensive, its compelling revelation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Martin Luther says uh, Romans is the very purest gospel. And this gospel that Paul proclaims to the church in Rome, this good news of Jesus Christ reaches its pinnacle, its highest point in Romans chapter 8. Chapter 8 is the greatest chapter in the Bible because it contains the greatest news, not only in the Bible, but in all of human history. And therefore, This is news that we must know. This is news we must believe and trust and apply and proclaim to the ends of the earth. News that renews our lives. News that equips us to bring change to our world. There is an awesome spiritual truth and power packed into these 39 verses that probably won't take us 39 weeks. But who knows? There's great insight and instruction and inspiration into living, this is what Romans 8 is about, into living a Spirit-filled, Spirit-empowered Christian life. Romans chapter 8 reveals the importance of the Holy Spirit in our lives. In the first seven chapters of Romans, the English word spirit from the Greek word pneuma is used only five times. Seven chapters, five times. And then there's a shift. Chapter 8 Paul uses it 21 times. In Romans 8, we find the truth that the Spirit of God powerfully works in our our lives to bring about this internal change, this internal transformation. That the Christian life is far from uh, uh, the religious external rule-keeping that so many have made it into. Yes, the Christian life involves external obedience to God, but the Christian life is first and foremost an internal relationship with God through His indwelling Spirit. And it's through the power of this indwelling Spirit, of God's Holy Spirit, that we're transformed into people who are internally and externally obedient to God. So I'm very excited to see what God will do in our lives as we walk through uh, this chapter together. It's my earnest prayer that God, by the power of His Spirit, will use His Word, especially this chapter in this time in our lives, to shape our minds and to transform our hearts and lives. And so, would you just pray with me as we begin to walk through this chapter of the Bible? Lord God, I just pray for open hearts and minds. I pray that the words that I say, those that aren't of you, would just fall, fall to the ground, be trampled underfoot. And your word would rise up, Father. Anything that you have for us, the things you have for us in your word today, will be brought forward into our minds and into our hearts. Use your word uh, to transform our lives. In Christ's name, amen. Romans 8 begins with with a verse, with one verse. 
that many have memorized. How many have memorized Romans 8.1? Okay, see, so uh, Christine and I were talking the other day, and we said, well, well, as I'm preaching through, oftentimes when I'm preaching through passages, I commit them to memory. And I said, well, why don't we memorize Romans 8 together as I, the, the, the chapter, Romans 8 together. And so that's why I'm only doing one verse a week, because I, I can only do one memory verse a week. I'm getting old, and so, just kidding. But this verse, Romans 1.8, gives us an amazing promise that, must, that we must allow to, to sink deep into our souls. In many ways, trusting in and applying this promise is what enables us to live a life in the Spirit, to live the, the Spirit-filled, Spirit-empowered life. So here it is, Romans 8.1, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? For those who've known the condemnation of sin, which is probably most of us, all of us, we've all, we all have it, some of us are ignoring it, but for those that have known it, have experienced it, there are no sweeter words in all of Scripture than these. As the psalmist wrote, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. So today I want us to taste this sweet promise. I want it to penetrate our hearts and our minds. I want it, us to rejoice in it and to be changed by it and to, and to glorify God who through Jesus Christ makes this promise true in our lives. Now normally I, I'd begin by looking at a, a verse's context. The context is so important. Seeing how this, this one verse fits in within the book, how it relates to what's gone before, to what comes after, and, and I'll do that shortly. But but for us to get the full impact of the context, which really, I want to say, I'll just point to it, the context of this verse is so important. It's going to be point three, by the way. But we must first, to get to that context, to see that context and the importance of it, we must first understand the concept of no condemnation. What does it mean that there is therefore now no condemnation? The word condemnation is a, is a legal term that refers to an, an adverse, a, a bad or negative uh, sentence. When a, a trial is complete and the defendant is found guilty, the judge will pronounce sentence upon him, the condemnation. So before we can understand and, and be thrilled by, I hope we're thrilled by the concept of no condemnation, we need to remember the condemnation that we were all formerly under. We need to take a moment and feel the weight of what was once our condemnation. We need to sit in that courtroom and hear that judge pronounce our sentence guilty so that the words, there is therefore now no condemnation, as we hear those words, we can leap for joy. We can glorify the one who delivered us from this sentence. The fact that there is now no condemnation means that at one time there was condemnation. We saw this in Romans chapter 5. Paul wrote, Therefore, as one trespass led to the condemnation for all men, the trespass, the, the sin of one man, Adam, led to the condemnation of all. We inherited our sin nature from our father Adam. We were all born slaves to sin and we prove it every day by actions of sin. Therefore, we are condemned. Every human being, save one, Jesus Christ, is born a sinner. 
and therefore is born under condemnation. And what is our condemnation? After being declared guilty, what sentence do we receive? Paul's made that clear since chapter 1 of Romans. Feel the weight, the condemnation in verse 18, where Paul warns, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who are by their unrighteousness, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Because of our sin, our ungodliness, our unrighteousness, because we suppress the truth of who God is and, and what God has done, we're condemned to receive uh, the wrath of God. We are sentenced to receive God's holy and righteous anger towards us. There can be no more fearful or terrible thing than a sinner to face the wrath of a holy God. As Jonathan Edwards' famous sermon uh, title declares, we are sinners in the hands of an angry God. And as we saw in Romans chapter, uh, chapters 1 through 3, if you're with us, the anger, the wrath of God is experienced first in, in this life. God gives us over to our own sinful pursuits and the pain and the destruction of sin that follows. We see this in our world today. The results of sin are, are devastating in people's lives, causing great sorrow and suffering and pain. But that's only the beginning. God's wrath and therefore our condemnation stretches far beyond this life. Paul makes this very clear. Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death. God's anger against sin ultimately and finally leads to death. According to God's word, the sentence, the condemnation we all deserve for our sin is death. Not just physical death, but spiritual, eternal, eternal separation from God. This is what the Apostle John refers to in Revelation 21.8. He calls it the second death. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. The wages of sin is the lake that burns with fire and sulfur. It's hell. So condemnation ultimately refers to the sentence of eternal hell we will receive from God for our sin. There can be no worse news than this. We need to let that reality sink in. We need to know that there is the condemnation, that this is the condemnation that many in our world are, are still under and will experience. And this is the condemnation that, that we all were under. Feel the weight of the wrath and condemnation of God upon sinful humanity upon sinful you and, and sinful me. Feel, feel yourself dangling over the pit of hell. It, it's, it's very hot. Because it's not until we feel the, the weight, the heat of our condemnation, that the promise of no condemnation can be fully experienced. And just to be 100% clear, that phrase, no condemnation, doesn't, mean, doesn't simply mean we're, we're not condemned for now. It's much stronger than that. It means that there is no condemnation at all. It's not just that you can, you can move from under condemnation for a while and, and then uh, out from under condemnation and then back under condemnation. No, there's no condemnation at all. It doesn't exist anymore. It's gone. There can never be condemnation. The weight has been lifted. The sentence has been commuted. The execution has been stayed. 
the pardon has been received. God's wrath has been assuaged. It's been dealt with. We're no longer sinners in the hands of an angry God. We're instead saints in the arms of a loving Heavenly Father. God no longer has anything against us. He finds no fault, no reason to punish us. This this promise guarantees that we will escape eternal punishment from God. The sentence has been changed from eternal death to eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we've seen and I... I pray we, we, in our hearts we, we can rejoice in the concept of no condemnation. The promise that we are no longer and will never again be, be under the wrath of God. But we have to ask the question, who does this promise apply to? What, if any, are the conditions of this amazing promise? And that's our second point, the, the condition of no condemnation. Again, Romans 8.1 is one of the greatest promises in the Bible. Maybe the greatest. But it's a conditional promise. It's not given to everyone. Not everyone will escape condemnation. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The promise is only for those who are in Christ Jesus. And this implies that some are in Him and some are not. And as we've seen, the fate of these two two different groups, those in Christ and those not in Christ, are very different. Paul is not a, a universalist. He doesn't believe that all will escape condemnation. There are those in Christ who will not be condemned, and those there are those outside of Christ who will be condemned. So it's crucial, it's crucial to be in Christ. Being in Christ, coming into Christ occurs when, by God's grace, you put your faith in Christ alone. When you stop trusting in yourself, your good works, your obedience, the law, and instead trust solely in Jesus Christ. When you believe that Christ's sacrificial death for you on the cross is the only way to be justified, to be saved, to be forgiven, and you by faith receive Christ, as your Lord and Savior, as Paul writes in Romans chapter 3, you are justified, declared righteous, and saved by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation, a sacrificial atonement, the Lamb of God, by His blood to be received by faith. When you, by God's grace, through faith, receive Jesus Christ, God changes your status. He changes your identity. He changes who you are. He changes what will happen. He changes everything. You're no longer in Adam, subject to eternal condemnation. You're in Christ. There is therefore now no condemnation for you. And why is there no, condem- con- no condemnation for you? Uh, It has nothing to do with anything you've done. Get that. Because Christ, there's no condemnation for you and for me because Christ took our condemnation. He took the wrath of God upon Himself. He took it and because of His divine nature and His sinless perfection, He overcame it. We could never overcome it. We would be crushed. We would be destroyed. We would spend eternity in hell never overcoming the condemnation 
that we deserve, but Christ defeated it. He crushed our condemnation. That's what Paul explains just in, uh, skip down two verses, Romans 8, 3. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. This takes us back to, to Romans 7 that we looked at. The law is good, but it's weakened by the flesh. In the flesh, we have no ability to keep the law. We have no, there's, there's, you know, you, there's two ways you can save yourself. Perfectly keep the law or through Christ. And no one can perfectly keep the law. It's not the law's fault. It's the fault of sin, our flesh. Therefore, the law could not save us from our condemnation. It can only reveal our sin, reveal our condemnation. But God saves by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, He condemns sin in the flesh. God sent His Son uh, to become a man in the likeness of sinful man and, and to become a sin offering. By going to the cross, by dying for our sins, Jesus offered Himself as a sacrifice. And He condemned sin in the flesh. Jesus defeated sin. Sin was condemned for those who were in Christ in, in two ways. First, we've talked about this before and we'll talk about it next week. We are no longer under the control of sin. We are no longer slaves to sin. Sin is still there, but we don't have to bow to its power because of Christ. We can fight against sin. And second, sin is condemned in that its condemning effects no longer apply to those who are in Christ. In Christ, we are and will always be forgiven for our sin. In Christ, we will always be righteous before God. Therefore, instead of condemnation, in Christ, we receive forgiveness and righteousness and redemption, reconciliation and salvation. As 1 John 2.1 says, Jesus has become our advocate before the Father. Our sentence is commuted because Christ took on our punishment and is now our, our defense attorney, our advocate. So if you want to be able to apply uh, this promise to your life, if you want to say now, today, and in the final judgment when you stand before God, there is therefore no condemnation for me because Jesus endured and overcame it for me, then you must be in Christ. If you're outside Him, you have no right to say that there is no condemnation for you because Christ's work of enduring and overcoming condemnation does not apply to you. If you're not in Christ, Jesus tells us in, in John chapter 3, verses 17 and 18, this is right after John 3 16, you know, 17 comes after, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For, verse 17, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. If you believe, then you're not condemned. You escape the eternal wrath of God and you receive eternal life. But if you do not believe, you are condemned already. Jesus didn't come to bring condemnation. He came to bring salvation. Condemnation already existed across the board. Before Christ came, everyone was condemned. And if you don't come to Christ, you remain in the condemnation that you were born under. So the most important question that any of us will ever face 
is a question of, of location. Where are you? Are you in Christ? Have you trusted in Christ alone for your righteousness before God, for your salvation? Are you free from condemnation? Or, or are you outside of Christ, having never trusted Him? Still trusting in something or someone else, usually your own self. And by doing that, you're still under condemnation. If you today find yourself outside of Christ, know this. You don't have to stay there. You don't have to stay there. You don't have to remain under condemnation. There's always room in Christ. And there's always an open invitation to come to Christ, to trust in Christ alone. And Christ's words to every sinner is, Come to me, all who, are, all who labor and are heavy laden. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Jesus offers you life and righteousness and forgiveness and relationship and escape from condemnation. For in Christ, there is no condemnation. So the condition of no condemnation is dependent on on whether you're inside or outside of Christ. Those who are not in Christ, not Christians, if you will, are still under condemnation. And those who are in Christ are free from condemnation. Condemnation is gone. It is no more. However, it's been my own personal experience that we... Uh, that we Christians, seen this in my life and I've heard it in the life of others, can and often do still feel this condemnation. Specifically, when we struggle with sin, when, when we're defeated and we give in to sin, we still feel we're under the condemnation of God. That's why so many of us rightly uh, turn to and, and rely on and take assurance from Romans 8.1. And that assurance can be firmly established, I believe, when we see the context of no condemnation. It's our final point this morning, the context of no condemnation. The context uh, of any passage of Scripture is always crucial. It's what we need to know. Uh, It's what we need to understand before we start looking at the verse or the passage itself. Before we start understanding the meaning, as, as I've said before, is... My uh, hermeneutics seminary professor said over and over again, context is king. It rules over your understanding of a passage. But, but when we see the word therefore, the importance of the context, what has gone before, increases. The word therefore means that what follows is based on what's gone before. And I, like many others, believe that, that the therefore in Romans 8.1 is pointing back to all that's gone before. All seven chapters of Romans, Paul's pointing back to the gospel he preaches. The gospel that says we're saved and we're sanctified. We're, we're declared righteous and we begin becoming righteous by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. Apart from works of the law. And so when you put your faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ, proclaimed in Romans chapters 1-7, through This means you're in Christ. And and there is therefore now no condemnation for you. So moving forward, you're now free to live according to the Spirit. And that's what Paul's going to detail for us in the rest of chapter 8. That's the big picture of the context of Romans 8.1. 
But what I want to focus on now is the immediate context. So there's the big picture context, but now I want us to get down into the immediate context. What Paul wrote just prior to Romans 8, when I think it's important. And what I want us to see is that the promise of no condemnation is even more profound, if, if it can be, when we remember it follows what we saw last week in Romans chapter 7. It follows the description of the divided man, the Christian man, Paul himself as a believer and all believers, male or female, who say, for I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. This is a man who desires good. He desires to obey God, but, but continues to struggle. Continues to struggle with, with sin and at times to fall to sin. This is a man who cries out in verse 24, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? This is a man that knows he is wretched. He knows he's miserable living out this struggle between his inner true longings to obey God and the sin that dwells in his flesh. He's miserable because of the struggle that he must endure. And so he cries out for deliverance. And deliverance comes. Verse 25 begins, Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus Christ delivers from the body of death, from the struggle with indwelling sin. And yet Paul ends chapter 7. I, if you've read chapter 7, you think, why did, you think, why didn't he stop right there? That's the end, but he doesn't end there. He says, so then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind. I myself, the true me, the real me, we talked about this last week, the, the innermost me, my mind serves the law of God. I desire to obey God's word and his will and his ways. But with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. Full stop. That's how he ends. He's, he's been to, thanks be to Jesus Christ, and now I'm serving the law of sin. In my flesh, because of the indwelling sin in my flesh, I still fail, I still fall, I still sin. Paul knows he's been delivered by Jesus Christ, but he still struggles with sin. So know this. When Paul wrote this letter... He didn't include uh, chapters and verses. Those are very helpful. They help us get around and, and know what, how much to memorize this week, you know. But they came later. If you were a member of the church in Rome reading this letter, you wouldn't stop at the end of chapter 7 and wait a week uh, to read chapter 8. You would just continue from the end of 7 to the beginning of 8. After Paul describes his, his struggle between sin and obedience... In, in the end of chapter 7, he, he writes, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The words right before, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, are, with my flesh I serve the law of sin. No condemnation comes in the immediate context of this struggle between sin and obedience. Between the real me, the, the, the new creature in Christ, and the sin that continues to dwell in me. Put simply, no condemnation comes in the context of a Christian serving, still giving in to sin in their life. And this is so very important for us to understand. When we give in to sin... 
the sin that continues to dwell in our flesh, when we at times serve the the law, the principle of sin that still dwells within us, this can wrongly lead us down a trail of condemnation. No condemnation from God, but condemnation from sin and condemnation from self. Sin is, is profoundly deceptive. First, it tempts you. It gets a hold of you. It causes you or cooperates with you, however you want to term it, to disobey God. But it doesn't stop there. It wants more. And so it condemns you for that disobedience. It tempts you to the disobedience. Then it condemns you. It piles on you with condemnation for your disobedience. It pronounces false sentences in your heart and mind. And it causes you to condemn yourself. It causes you to question who you are in Christ Jesus. Am I really a Christian? Does God really love me? Can God forgive me again? You see... When you sin, there is and there should be a a sense of guilt, a sense of wrongdoing. Paul's certainly experiencing the guilt of a sin in Romans 7.24 when he cries out, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Romans 7.24 is the proper response to the guilt of our sin. Our response should be one of confession of our wretchedness. Confession. That in my own power, I'm wretched and have no ability to obey God. Even as a Christian, in my own power, I'm wretched and have no ability. That's why Romans 8 is going to be so important. I have no ability in myself to obey God, but I must not stop there. Once we confess our sin, we must go to God and cry for deliverance. Knowing He loves and accepts us in spite of our sin, We must run to Him as the only one who who can and who has delivered us from the condemnation that sin uh, requires, if you will. But our sin doesn't want us to cry out for deliverance. Instead of us crying out, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Sin would have us cry out, wretched man that I am, God would never deliver me from this body of death. I'm stuck in my sin and can only experience death. That's the kind of guilt that sin wants us to have. Guilt that drives us not to God as it should, but away from God as it should not. Sin would have us remain distant from God, out of relationship with God, in a place where we easily continue in sin. Sin begets more sin when it's accompanied by self-condemnation. Do the math. Sin plus self-condemnation equals continuing in sin. Therefore, it's so important that we understand this, is, this, is, this breaks the cycle. Romans 8.1 breaks the cycle of sin if you understand it properly. So important we understand the context. The context is not when you're living in relative obedience to God. The context is not when you're loving God and and loving your neighbors. The context is when you're struggling with sin. When we're being selfish and prideful and hateful and lazy and lustful and jealous and so on and so forth. I know this is a little dangerous to say, 
I know there is potential for people to wrongly use Romans 8.1 as an excuse for sin. If you just took it totally out of context, you might be able to do that. But the fact remains that in the midst of our sin, that God's Word declares, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I believe, even though it might seem counterintuitive to some, I believe it's when we truly understand that there is now no condemnation then and only then will we be empowered to continue our fight against sin. Because condemnation stops our fight. You might think that, that knowing there is no condemnation for sin would lead you to more sin. And as if you've been with us, you know Paul's already addressed this several times. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. It's crazy to think that because you've received, uh, that you're under grace of God, and there's therefore now no condemnation, that you should take that as a license to sin. By no means. If you do, you're missing the whole point. The point is, you are now, by grace, in in a love relationship with God through Jesus Christ. If you remember in the beginning of, of, of chapter 7, Paul likened this relationship we have with God through Christ uh, to marriage. We're married to Jesus Christ. We're the bride of Christ. And to continue in sin, uh, to use grace and, and our lack of condemnation as an excuse for sin would be like violating our wedding vows. It would be like a woman whose husband, uh, during the marriage ceremony, vowed to love her no matter what. Then on the honeymoon, she willingly goes out every night sleeping with other men, saying to her husband, you said you'd love me no matter what. That's just crazy. But that's what it looks like if we use God's grace, God's removal of our condemnation as an excuse or a motivation for sin. Because in reality, it's God's grace. It's His removal of condemnation condemnation that motivates and empowers us to overcome sin. Our new status. Our old status. Condemnation. Our new status. No condemnation. Enables us to live in the Spirit. But if we believe that our sin puts us under condemnation, then when we sin, we will not seek a relationship with God, we will not live in the power of the Spirit. We'll be like a, a sick person who thinks they can't go to the hospital because they're sick. When in fact, it's the sick who need the hospital most of all. Romans 8.1 was not written for, for perfect Christians. There aren't any of those. Or even those who continually live in obedience to God most of the time. It was written for Christians, those in Christ, when they, when we disobey God, when we need to go to the hospital, when we need assurance of who we truly are in Christ. So let me suggest uh, the next time you sin, could be today, or even now, uh, maybe you're experiencing self-condemnation for some past or, or maybe present ongoing sin in your life. Look to Romans 1.8. Not for an excuse to continue in your sin, by no means. But in your sin, look to Romans 1.8 as a promise of deliverance from sin, 
a promise of deliverance into the loving arms of your heavenly Father. Even in your sin, be assured, if you are in Christ, there is no condemnation. Condemnation has left the building. And in its place, the love, forgiveness, and mercy of God now abides. This is beautifully pictured in the parable of the prodigal son. It was in the midst of his sin, uh, uh, his debauchery, his continual sin over, over uh, time. Wanting to, he'd come to a point of, of wanting to eat the pig's food. He was so hungry that he realized his misery, his wretchedness, and he returns to his father. Now the prodigal son was expecting some condemnation. He was hoping just to be a servant now. Therefore, he, he, he had to hit rock bottom. I think that's why it took him so long to go back to his, his father. He had to hit rock bottom before he returned to his father. But when he arrived, he received mercy and forgiveness. He received no condemnation. Paul's saying, uh, Christian, now, now that there is now no condemnation, God is waiting for you, wretched man or woman that you are, to come to Him to confess your sin and to receive deliverance from your misery, from your sin and and self-condemnation. You don't have to hit rock bottom before returning to your loving Heavenly Father. God provides deliverance that will not lead you to continue in sin, but deliverance that will lead you to relationship with Him. A loving relationship empowers you then to live in the Spirit, to overcome the sin in your life. I would charge and challenge each and every one of us to remember, because we so easily forget, to remember, especially in the midst of our sin, that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Write it on your hand, your arm, You know, I'm not a big tattoo guy, but this might be a good tattoo right here. This is the the key to not allowing your sin. This breaks the cycle of sin. This is the key to not allowing your sin to keep you from a relationship with God. If you believe there's condemnation, you will run from God. If you understand there's no condemnation, you will go to God. And then you can deal with God with your sin. This is an open invitation for you and me, for sinners, to come to God, to experience, even in the midst of our sin, His forgiveness and mercy and love, His acceptance. This is the gateway to life filled not with sin, but filled with the Spirit. And that's what we'll continue to look at over the next few weeks. Would you pray with me? Father God, thank You for no condemnation. What an amazing thing. Through nothing Uh, We could ever accomplish nothing we did accomplish, but only through Christ. You brought about for us escape from condemnation. We're no longer condemned in this life. We're no longer condemned for eternity. Lord, and we praise you and we honor you and we glorify you and we bow before you. We're going to worship you. Lord, we worship you now. Lord, I pray for any here that, that are experiencing self-condemnation, that you, would, that you would come to them and you would say there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. If you're in Christ Jesus, there's no condemnation. Come to me. Run to me. My arms are open to you. And, and we'll together deal with the sin you're working on. I'll, I'll bring people into your life. We'll work on it. 
But no, there's no condemnation. And for those that have never trusted in Christ, that are still under condemnation, Lord, I pray they would come to you. you you're, there's, there's room and you offer, you ask, you invite, you even command, come to me, all of you who labor and are heavy laden. Lord, you offer rest. You offer no condemnation. Lord, that we would, if there are those here that, that are under condemnation, they would come out from that today and come into Christ. For it's in your name we pray. Amen.